Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. solution to uh, a problem I created for myself, but it turns out I have more work to do. So I, uh, every day when I come in here, you know, I'll have something that I drink that's normally warm first thing in the morning. Supposedly that's good for your vocal cords. I'm not sure if that's true, but it is my habit. So I have... I have a certain coaster that I put my drink on, which keeps it out of this, you know, my arm swing, which is important. So with electronics, you don't spill water with sugar in it most of the time. Yeah, I'm like that. Um, So tea with sugar or hot cocoa with sugar in it. Yep. I know I'm not a coffee guy. But it could be coffee. So I've done this before in that I've knocked. I've knocked that on my keyboard. And um, so I did it on Sunday. I get up. I'm just goofing off. I'm reading. I'm writing. Catching up on some stuff. And, um, And I have my 
glass of tea sitting right in front of my keyboard as I'm just reading some stuff. And it occurs to me like, yeah, that's not the place that goes. And I'm like, and I mean, I'm, and I don't heed my own warning to myself in spite of my past history. I'm like, I don't, you know, it just was, I, the, it occurred to me and it left. Shiny object must have got in front of me. So, yeah. So, you know what's coming next. That's right. So I knocked the tea. I don't knock it completely over. So if you're looking at my keyboard, water hits the numeral key in the upper left quadrant, one, two, three, four, and five. It hits Q, W, and the tab. And so I immediately, I immediately grab a, air, a can of air and I blow it out, right? And I turn it over, I absorb as much as I can. And then lo and behold, later on the day, stick, 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 stick. So I think I'm going to have to throw, um, I don't know how much this keyboard is, but it's not a cheap keyboard. It's, a, you know, it's a Bluetooth keyboard made by Logitech. It lights up in the dark. I like that in case I'm working at night. Anyway, I'm thinking, I gotta throw this son of a bitch away because the keys. So I go online. I'm like, okay, can you fix, right? A keyboard with sugar in it. And guess what? You can. Yeah, how about that? The solution is alcohol, right? We know that. The solution to everything, right? How stupid. Yeah, no kidding. The solution is alcohol. Rubbing alcohol, you dopes. Come on. Get with the program. So, and it started to work last night. However, comma, it didn't work well enough. So, that means I'm going to have to rinse and repeat. So what it says is you soak the key in alcohol and then you just allow it to evaporate and it will, making sure that the keyboard's off and no electricity's going anywhere, yada, 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 yada. So I did that and it started to work. Yeah, the keys came free. But a couple keys got slow again overnight as everything dried. So I'll repeat that, but I have to share that with you because I'm excited about it. The things that excite me in my life, right? I know, moderately pathetic, but it is what it is. So, uh, yeah, so that's what also in my life yesterday, I went down to Camp Pendleton. I uh, went and got a haircut, uh, not at Pendleton, but in San Clemente. I went on the base to do a survey for something I'm going to do today. Yeah, I'll do post-traumatic winning with uh, a, a West Coast version of Pro-Tray Mid, which is midshipmen from around the country, over 200 of them are there right now, and uh, they're led by the MOI from the University of Arizona, uh, Colonel Kevin Norton. And uh, so they'll hear post-traumatic winning in the morning, and then we'll do kind of some uh, group stuff in the afternoon. Yeah, so it should be really uh, it should be really interesting. I'm excited about it. So anyhow, I go down there because we're going to do it outside. What? 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 So, yeah. So, I need to see where we're doing it, how this thing's going to work, because I don't like things to be disorganized. 
So, when I get home, Colleen's not home. By the time I get home in the afternoon, uh, Colleen was at the beach with friends, and she walks in, I don't know, maybe five, ten minutes after I did. She walks into her bedroom, and she comes back, and she says, Dad, my carpet's soaked. I'm like, what? There's no water on anywhere. But I noticed some standing water in the backyard in a place where there isn't. Normally water. I'm like, what's that about? But I'm like, whatever. I'm not sure. So sure enough, her carpet in her bedroom soaked. And I'm thinking, water through the slab? That's not. Come on. So, and I mean soaked, not just wet. I mean, I mean soaked to the pad, gushing, stepping on it, squishing. And my neighbor comes over and he says, hey, you had water come down, you know, between our houses. And, you know, so I came to the front door and nobody was home. So I went in the backyard and you had a hose broke. Bigger than snot, man. Um, I go in the back. I step on a hose. While we were gone, a hose that had water tension on it. And then it had one of those things that you can spray at the end of it. Yeah. It busts. And wouldn't you know where it busts? It busts and the stream right into Colleen's room. Yeah, through a screen door. And she normally doesn't open the screen door, uh, doesn't open her sliding door. She did because it was going to be warm yesterday here. Straight into her room and everywhere. Yep. So we wound up pulling the carpet, the pad, and everything out last night. I have to tell you this. I was doing the... Uh, graduate seminar and um, the um, while I was on the graduate seminar Colleen pulled all the carpet out and the pad how about that how do you know you raise your kid right when your daughter just mans up and yanks the carpet and the carpet pad out of there so I got done expecting to come you know be you know Going to do that, which for a grown-ass man, right? Not a big deal. And I walk out, and I'm like, holy shit, girlfriend, that's awesome. Yeah, Colleen. So, anyway, disaster. But, uh, yeah, so uh, this morning I'm headed down to uh, Camp Pendleton, and as you're listening to this right now, I'm actually teaching post-traumatic winning. It's actually recorded. You don't know that, but it is. And so, uh, yeah, through the wonders of technology. So uh, what are we going to do today? I, You know, I talked yesterday in, in all of this, and um, all of these accidents and investigations, you know, to me, what they reveal is, you know, one, lack of operational excellence. Two, when you see bad things happen, I would like to tell you that they happen for a reason other than organizational discipline. But the, it, the fact is, when I look at these things, that's what I see. People that don't read orders, people that don't read, or or, or they read them, and, and maybe they just don't execute. Maybe they read the orders, but they just didn't do it. And so the answer is somewhere on that unacceptable spectrum. If you're going to be an organization dedicated to ex- excellence, you better be excellent. And part of excellence is safety in, in these cases. 
You can't be ready to fight tonight if you don't train hard. You can't train hard if you can't train safe. And if you don't have the professionals that are committed to that, right, really bad things happen. The Marine Corps has never had an accident like it had with that AV in the AV community, ever. So what I'm going to tell you is you put you begin to put all these things together, these these, these terrible things that happen. And as I, I quoted him yesterday, as F-18 man said yesterday, or said, told me, this stuff's not Swiss cheese model. This, you know, this mechanical one in a million lined up with this one in a million lined up with this. It is not that. It is a lack of operational discipline. Not doing the things that you are supposed to do when you're supposed to do them and doing them that way every time. And you want to know why those habits don't exist? Because we don't, we don't devote time to that stuff anymore. We have always something greater that's going on. So, um, so yesterday, and I hope you hung around and listened to it, but um, I played an interview I did with General P.K. Van Riper. And if you didn't listen to it, you should. All you've got to do is, you know, type his name in, Van Riper, and you'll, you'll see um, an on-discipline uh, interview with him. Today, you're, <clears throat> you're going to hear General Mattis' version of that uh, momentarily. And these guys were more than willing to come on you know, the program and talk about, you know, their thoughts on discipline after General Furness started a uh, a discussion that he was ridiculed for. And that was when he said, hey, we need to be more disciplined. How dare he? Bottom line, he's absolutely right. Bottom line number two, he's one of the few general officers that would, that would say that in public. And that's a that's a problem in and of itself, because let me tell you this: everybody knew it, and nobody said a word when he said it. So you draw your own conclusions from that. <clears throat> I think it, it's part of it, it's the biggest problem starts with our general officers and what they accept, and it goes from there. It goes from there. So. Good morning to you on this uh, Tuesday morning. I don't have time to do uh, the, the rest of the opening that I do. Uh, so without further ado, uh, former head of CENTCOM, former head, former Secretary of Defense, former Commanding General, First Marine Division, and one math, uh, James N. Mattis, general type, United States Marine Corps, talking about discipline and leadership. Have a great day. I'll be back tomorrow. Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. Special edition of All Marine Radio, uh, continuing the series that uh, we started doing on discipline called uh, On Discipline of All Things. And uh, we've had General Van Riper, we've had General Halick on, and now joining me is uh, a name that's familiar to everybody, if you know anything about the Marine Corps, and that is former Secretary of Defense, former uh, Commanding General Central Command, and I know him best as a Commanding General as, uh, of the 
First Marine Division, where I work for him, and uh, that is Jim Mattis. Sir, first of all, uh, welcome to All Marine Radio, and thanks for doing this. Well, happy to be here, Mac. Always, uh, always my first love is the U.S. Marines. The uh, so we're, we're gonna we're gonna. We're, we're, I think what's important about these in- interviews and what I love about them and what the, the Marines that write me about love them is they get to hear the why behind, you know, uh, behind uh, people's thoughts. And uh, and so we're going we're gonna to walk down the same path that uh, we did with General Van Riper and General Halick. So, uh, and that starts with uh, you're born and raised where? Well, it's a pleasure to do this, Matt. I think that the Marines understand the why behind something and they're a lot more effective at carrying it out. But I was, I was formed uh, by my experience being raised by mostly World War II veterans in my neighborhood out in Eastern Washington, uh, born in Coleman, raised in Richland, with school at Central Washington State uh, College then, university now in Ellensburg, and uh, a lot of time outdoors, a lot of time playing sports, a lot of time hunting, fishing, swimming, hiking, that sort of thing in the mountains around here. Uh, but uh, as I came out of high school, uh, my brother was in the Marines. He got out of the Marines a sergeant, but he was serving in Vietnam. And so that kind of attracted me to the Marines, knowing that <clears throat> in those days, most of us would end up getting drafted at some point. And uh, I thought if I was going to go, I'd go with the varsity. The, um, <clears throat> interesting. Your brother, uh, what was his MOS? Uh, he was uh, he was a supply guy in an artillery unit in a uh, headquarters battery of an artillery battalion. Wow, wow! I wonder because you know Eastern Washington isn't exactly a hotbed of recruiting for the Marine Corps. I mean, there's not a lot of Marines up there, and so but everybody's got a connection, and so uh, not hard to follow in the footsteps of your brother. You enlist now. <coughs> My understanding, reading your your, your biography, is you and en- you enlist in the Marine Corps Reserve out of high school. Uh, well, I was in college, and uh, I wasn't doing all that well. <clears throat> and uh, I got a phone call saying that I might uh, want to be looking for a different kind of draft deferment than my college deferment because of what I was doing. Uh, so I uh, went down to the Marine recruiter, and uh, he talked initially about the reserves. I said, fine. And uh, when I went home uh, from college for the summer, I got a telegram saying that I had a ticket waiting for me in July to go to Washington, D.C. So I thought I, they must have recognized talent early. Uh, <laughs> but it turned out when I got there, uh, I was for the officer candidate school <clears throat> where the corporals and sergeants explained early on that they had not seen any talent in me and I was going to have to buckle down and prove it. <laughs> the, um, <clears throat> so you graduated from college off to officer candidate school. How do you decide on uh, how do you decide on, uh, on on your MOS? What attracted you to being a grunt? Well, growing up, uh, I spent a lot of time hiking in the mountains, uh, in the desert, uh, hunting and fishing. Uh, I didn't have any intention at that time of staying in the Marine Corps a long time, <clears throat> so I thought I'd just enjoy myself, uh, get paid to go camping. And uh, that sort of thing. I didn't have the most sophisticated understanding of the infantry, uh, but uh, it seemed like like the right place to go. I intended to come back to my hometown and 
teach physics or history or something like that and coach sports. So I had no intention of staying in the Marine Corps for, uh, for over 40 years. The um, <clears throat> I read that both your parents are readers and uh, that, that your mom actually uh, worked for uh, – Intelligence, uh, intelligence director in the uh, in, in the Second World War, and your father was in the nuclear in the nuclear energy business. Is that is that accurate? Not knowing, sir. Yeah, uh, my dad was uh, was a merchant marine chief engineer on a ship, and for about fifteen years in the merchant marine. Uh, met my mom there when she went to South Africa to work at the embassy. Interesting sideline about the Marine Corps. When she got there, the uh, person that was in an independent country was part of the British Commonwealth. So the Consular General there was the former Commandant of the Marine Corps, General Holcomb, wow. was sent there. And so uh, she actually used to think about Marines when my brother uh, joined the Marines. But, uh, yeah, they were they're part of the greatest generation. My dad floated uh, on merchant ships uh, against uh, the U-boat threat, that sort of thing. And my mom was actually in the first uh, tranche of people who went to work initially in the Pentagon before he was ordered to South Africa to the defense out of state office. The, um, <clears throat> I know I, uh, I learned to be a reader from my mom. Um, I also read that, that both your parents were readers, and, and, and you picked that you grew up in a house uh, that didn't have a television, and... Uh, and both the, you, they're both your parents are readers. Uh, is that accurate? Yeah, they they instilled that level of reading in me. And uh, but things uh, I spent a lot of time outdoors as well. It's kind of balanced in that regard, <clears throat> but not shaped much like television. Even though television was was coming of age, and uh, didn't spend a lot of time indoors on that sort of thing. The um. <clears throat> So on the subject of discipline, as you enter the Marine Corps, you enter the Marine Corps during some pretty tough years. Vietnam's winding down, and, uh, you know, it's a pretty interesting time uh, in the Marine Corps. You know, the, the country's changing. Uh, the military's changing. Uh, you had the, you know, you had uh, Secretary of Defense McNamara, his uh, McNamara, 100,000. Uh, that was still uh, was still you know some of them still in, in, in the service. Uh, what between the ranks of, uh, of second lieutenant, you joined the, the the operating forces and went into all that. What what was that like? Well, it was a lot different. Uh, the Marine Corps got better over the years. They were good Marines by and large, although we had some who couldn't have been ever brought into the Marine Corps. <clears throat> But uh, we lost an awful lot of our NCOs, either as casualties or they just got fed up with the way uh, the, the uh, country treated them when they came back. So my first platoon sergeant was Corporal Wayne Johnson, an immigrant from uh, the British West Indies, who promptly uh, was given the nickname uh, John Wayne, of course. <laughs> but uh, he was a wonderful young man, taught me a lot uh, as a second lieutenant. My next, uh, my next platoon sergeant was Corporal Manuel Rivera, an immigrant from Mexico, uh, and again, uh, strong NCO, uh, uh, could make, just like Corporal Johnson, he could, uh, he'd get 40 Marines falling out ready to go to the field, uh, without one ounce of guidance from me, 
uh, squared away. They had the right gear. They're ready to go. My next June sergeant, finally I got a staff sergeant that gave me bragging rights at the officer's club. Staff Sergeant Ramie Lafrune from from uh, Quebec, Canada. So uh, these were the these were the young NCOs, staff sergeant, even staff sergeant Lafrune, looking back on it, pretty young, only 28, who uh, put their thumbprint on me. Infantry officers are largely shaped by the NCOs, of course, and uh, I just I just had this. Uh, I, I was bred from my first days under then you know, OCS Staff Sergeant Collier and Henry Sergeant Dudley. I still remember them very clearly. Uh, these were the people who put their thumbprint on us, the Vietnam veterans who knew that he would be tested someday, and they they broke no nonsense. Uh, they were they were hardcore guys, but they were hard on the issues, not hard on their people. They were actually, in their own way, some of the best coaches I've ever uh, I've ever seen in any sport or field. So as I went up to lieutenant, first lieutenant captain, I was on recruiting duty, and I saw the Marine Corps switching from the draft year. We went all volunteer. Hard to get good quality people the way the military was looked at. And so we uh, we went through tough years, and eventually the Marine Corps became the most successful of the recruiting services, bringing in top quality people that we see today. But I saw that transition in those days, and of course then General Gray coming in and turned the Marine Corps into an operational and tactical virtuoso based on the discipline of maneuver warfare, where you delegate more authority to young people to make decisions, juniors, and seniors give broad guidance and then support them. But it takes a more disciplined force to operate like that, or you will, you'll just have helper shelter on the battlefield. So I saw the Marine Corps basically second lieutenant to major go through these metamorphoses, all volunteer, much more tactically capable to the uh, 29 Palms uh, that we overall put through, uh, and eventually uh, saw it all come together there as a lieutenant colonel commanding the battalion in Desert Shield and Desert Storm. Hey, sir, I want to ask about that period, and that, you know, General Barrels, I mean, you talk about guys that are in the, the pantheon of heroes for Marines. Um, but his decision as a commandant and the expeditious discharge and all, all that he put in, I mean, you, obviously your lens has changed as you know you you, you know as as you went through the Marine Corps and then uh, ultimately at, at the Secretary of Defense position. How, when you look at that now, a decision like that, I mean, that was not a small <clears throat> that decision was not a small decision, and he took a fair amount of grief for it, uh, proposing it. Um, and didn't get a whole lot of support from the general officers in the Marine Corps relative to it. When you think about that decision now, you were part of the Marine Corps then. Uh, talk to us about what that was like when 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 you all were going through that. Yeah, and, and we we experienced it, and what it did was immediately make sure that if someone didn't meet Marine Corps standards, they'd be gone. And so they they cleaned up the ranks, but they also uh, changed the way we were recruiting. Uh, Xerox Corporation uh, had purchased uh, basically a sales or, uh, scene that changed the whole way the Marine Corps looked at what kind of people we wanted to attract. And it raised the standards 
but also uh, everybody in my chain of command was 100% on board. Uh, this is from uh, Captain and Lieutenant Colonel, Colonel, every general. It was just a breath of fresh air to get rid of the ones that didn't belong there and change the recruiting so we didn't continue to bring in guys that uh, sometimes judges wanted off the street or something like that. So it was very much embraced. Uh, coupled with General Gray's focus on war fighting, it restored the Marine Corps to its uh, legendary purpose, and that is to be able to fight and fight well. The the um <clears throat> your your career, second lieutenant through major, is is pretty typical infantry officer career. How would you describe yourself and as a disciplinarian in that? Because you know I joined the Marine Corps in 1983, and the Marine Corps was uh I don't think it had changed very much. I mean, uh you, you know, you polished boots, ironed utilities, you know, you you were on time. You uh the staff and COs, you know, they you, you know, they kind of ruled the roost. Uh and and and, and the violence in, in the Marine Corps had largely disappeared. Um, but they still, I mean, they had all the tools available to them. They could play fuck fuck with you, right? They, you, you know, a lot of guys dig in fighting positions, mortar positions out back, uh, and they could assign you to. We still worked in the chow halls, and they still they had a, a tremendous amount of authority uh, then. And uh, and you know, field day was inspected. You know, the, there was a there was a meter to the way we lived that that I think hadn't changed in a long time. Um, as you as you matured as a as a young officer, um, can you describe yourself as a disciplinarian? How what you believed in, what what you put emphasis on in your units, whether it be your platoon or your recruiting command? Well, going back to your opening point there about the why behind discipline, uh, I saw myself basically as a coach. Uh, I finally learned by first lieutenant as much as my rambunctious young troops once in a while would get me chewed out by my company commander for their antics on liberty. <clears throat> they didn't stay awake at night thinking how can they screw up Lieutenant Madison's day the next day. And if you coach your troops, if you really understand them, if you get into their 95%, not the top 5%, if you really know your troops, you know their hopes, you know their goals, their education goals, if you know what they want to do socially, if they're thinking about getting married, uh, if you know what they want to do as far as the career, if they're in the Marine Corps, get out, do something else. Um, I, I just saw most of the staff and field guys with were, were, were strong guys, uh, and, and they knew how to deal with the troops in a direct way, a way that officers do not. But by and large, they were admired, uh, the ones I was with. I'd say easily the overwhelming majority were admired by the troops. <clears throat> and, uh, and I thought the Marine Corps by the early 80s was now on the right track. It had a long way to go in terms of getting the right equipment for light armored vehicles, better, uh, better infantry gear. But all those decisions had been made, and that was a matter of budget, training, and changing the education to embrace maneuver warfare by certainly after those first 10 years of active duty in the early 80s, uh, I had seen the Marine Corps just uh, change enormously. 
uh, in a positive way and was on the right track. All right, you uh, you take over 1st Battalion, 7th Marines, and as uh, part of Task Force Ripper uh, during the Gulf War, uh, you guys essentially uh, lead the 1st Division uh, into into uh, into Kuwait, into Kuwait City. How did how did that how did going and this is your first experience in combat? How how did how did that experience of preparing, uh, of executing, and coming home? How did that impact your thoughts on uh, on discipline? You know, had the things that you learned up to that point did did you believe that they prepared you uh, for everything that 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 that, that was going to happen in front of you uh, organizationally, and and, uh, and 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 did it see you through uh, to Kuwait City? Did, did it see you through through coming back? And then I want to talk about um, the attitude of Marines. This whole you know, Garrison's chicken shit, and the only thing that really counts is combat when you guys came home. Because this is a this is a cycle that the Marine Corps and, and, and the Army and everybody goes through. Talk to us about how that first experience, uh, did it change you? What did you take away from it as a leader and your thoughts on discipline relative to it? Yeah, we were, my battalion was up at, uh, we were out in 29th Palm State in there, of course, so we had a lot of live fire training. Uh, we could always have ammunition. There was never a limit on that <clears throat> because uh, units didn't use their full allotment for the for the catches, that the tests that we used to do out there in the desert. We just go clean our ammo and sign for it. So we, we, we were pretty good with small arms, pretty handy with all the weapon systems in the battalion. We got over the desert, during the desert field. Uh, we had just come out of Mountain Warfare Training Center, and we were in very good physical shape. Uh, we were training six days a week out in the desert, uh, sleeping on the ground the whole time, uh, seldom had showers, that sort of thing. Uh, the heat was upwards of 120 degrees when we first got there. <clears throat> Many of the men lost weight. We all lost weight. <clears throat> and the discipline standards were such that at night you could not see, uh, anything when the time was beefed up to over 1,250 troops, uh, sailors, Marines, and ladies, uh, who were all embedded in the unit. Uh, but at night you couldn't find that unit right in front of you on the desk floor, uh, unless you had MVPs. So there was not a light zone. Uh, every vehicle was covered with a canning net, uh, as matured, the men went everywhere with weapons and their their uh, combat gear. Um, it was a very, very effectively run unit, uh, not thanks to me. I just asked the kind of uh, junior officers and NCOs that had. Um, when we went into the fight, it had been anticipated to take very heavy casualties, hundreds killed and wounded, uh, breaking through the two obstacle belts, planes, trenches, and... Uh, minefields. Um, we got through the first one faster than any of the ones we had done in training, training six days a week that we practiced it. And from, from uh, next company commanders to the land corporals who ran the armored bulldozers to fill in the trenches, <clears throat> we, uh, we reversed it until we could do it in the dark. And when we broke through, uh, we lost some men wounded, but it was the last First and last time, I would bring everybody home alive from a fight. If the enemy had our weapons, 
and they had, uh, and we had their weapons. Uh, the discipline of the battalion would have resulted in the same outcome. We might have lost more troops, but the fact is, uh, it was the discipline and the confidence the Marines had in each other uh, when we were ordered into those minefields, that we opened those minefields faster under fire in combat than we did uh, in, in training. <clears throat> so it's a very, very different unit. Um, and coming home, uh, it was a little bit like after World War II, I think, because if you read Fehrenbach's book about the Marines in Korea, mm-hmm. he talked about how well disciplined they were. So that's the Marine Corps that came out of World War II, and there was no sense that garrison is chicken shit. Uh, the Marine Corps focused on war fighting, and if you read that book, you realize how the Marines got out of Chosen Reservoir more based on their discipline uh, and the, the leadership of the NCOs and officers than anything else. Having come out of better storm with so few casualties, Having refuted those who said we were going to lose hundreds, the, it was a clear win for the discipline. And you can't say I'm going to be disciplined in the field but not in garrison. If you show me a unit with a lot of drug use, with DUIs, sexual harassment, I'll show you a unit that doesn't have good fire discipline, doesn't have good light discipline, and probably has a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, disciplinary problems as a result. Uh, so I, you either lead a disciplined life or you lead an undisciplined life. You don't turn it on and off. Uh, human beings aren't built like that. And so I didn't say that when we came back from Better Storm because it was so compelling uh, that we brought everybody home alive in my time. Matter of fact, our, the NCOs gave me a little statue of a Marine and they only had one thing on it. Thanks for bringing, bringing us all home. So everybody knew how that had paid off, and we, I did not see degradation in discipline coming out of uh, Desert Storm, which is good considering 10 years later, the Marines again into a fight that we hadn't anticipated in Afghanistan. You know, sir, it's interesting in this whole discussion that General Furness kind of lit off out of the 2nd Division about discipline in the Marine Corps. Um, that, you know, if you read uh, Sledge's second book, I think it's called uh, Combat Marine, and it's, it takes from, it picks up his story after uh, they leave, uh, the 5th Marines leave Okinawa and they go to China, and he winds up in Beijing. And, um, and they fall into, they don't, they don't go back to live in the same buildings, um, but they go live in where the same, you know, with the legation, uh, where the foreign uh, troops were quartered and whatnot, and they they fall back into that that routine of spit shining, of you know parades and uniforms and things like that. And he doesn't mention a whole lot about people talking about it was chicken shit. Um, he, he mentions that you know the point system after World War II and who got to home, go home when you know was an issue with, with with some people, but the discipline and the way they treated each other didn't seem to be. So it's kind of it's kind of interesting, you know, that that comes up you know now and 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 where it comes up, 
and uh, and and is that do you think that's a cultural thing? Uh, this asking why now? Do you think, it, or maybe as a culture, we don't do discipline now very much. We don't do consequences so much. We don't do adversity so much. Um, do you think it's just the 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 way our culture's gone? Is there you have any thoughts on any reason for it? <clears throat> I um. I, I, you know, it's all about the coaching, and if if you have these NCOs or junior officers, and those are the ones who are, you know, whose social energy actually animates the group, wins the respect. Uh, I mean, you, your your rank is given to you by the Commandant of the Marine Corps, Secretary of the Navy, but your troops will determine if you're a leader or not, and if you. I used to wonder sometimes why was one unit in combat, one platoon in combat, <clears throat> worth a company when they were in a fight. And it took a long time to figure it out. But I found that um, there was something beyond trust and respect in those units. There was trust and there was respect. And you find that in most well-run units. That's not a new from Marine Corps. But there's also affection. And I'm not talking about popularity with all the favoritism that comes with uh, sort of uh, desire for being popular. Uh, that's a bunch of crap. But true affection, like even when people are dropping around you, you know that people will hold. And I think that uh, the kind of leader that sets the conditions in a unit for that affection to grow creates a unit that the enemy cannot stop. They can shoot it down. I remember at one point as a two-star in Anbar province, I had 29 sailors and marines in my junk CP command post that went everywhere with me. Uh, vehicle operators, judges, communicators, aide-de-camp, uh, intel, corporal, that sort of thing, corpsmen. And in a period of four months, uh, 17 of those 29 lads were killed or wounded around me. And I'd walk out each day and even bandaged up, there they'd be, ready to go again the next day as we tried to hold the line there. Uh, a very tough time there in 2004 in Anbar province, Belugia, Ramadi, Alpine, uh, you, you know the names. And I, my, uh, my, Aid, my lieutenant had been badly wounded, evacuated, so I had a gunnery sergeant for my aide as a two-star. And he was a communicator. He was harder than petrified woodpecker. <laughs> but every time we uh, we went out, there was a rehearsal. Uh, I told the troops, uh, you can bounce a check at the PX, and your first sergeant's going to kick your ass, and he's going to make you take a balance in your checkbook course from MCI. Uh, but I said, he'll handle that. But if you ever take a unit on patrol that you didn't rehearse ahead of time, actions on enemy contact, they're going to get court-marked. That's what was important. And that gun, he's put them through their pages each time. I remember once he's walking up to one of the wounded guys that we were pitching onto a stretcher. He's a young guy. Uh, he's very painfully wounded. He wasn't badly wounded. He's going to be okay, but he's going into shock, and you can see it. And the gunny comes walking up, 
he said, man, you sure screwed up your health record this time. <laughs> he, he was seen as a guy who was just harder than petrified woodpecker lips, and there was no no, no slacking off on discipline, on which way weapons were pointed, on weapon cleanliness, on who fired and who who uh, ran forward and that sort of thing. He was he was by the book. But the book has been written in a, a lot of combat fights. And when you have people like that around, uh, the, the troops loved it, to tell you the truth. They thought the world of him. And it was, uh, as a result, that kind of discipline and that kind of understanding, knowing the toughest guy in the unit is your leader, is the gunny. And by the way, he's on your side, he's your coat. He's not anti you, he's trying to keep you alive in the toughest circumstances. And if you don't do that in garrison and peacetime, you don't just turn that on, you don't just develop that with someone who's grown up through the ranks and looking the other way when people don't meet standards. You know, sir, you know, I working for you, I watch those guys every day, and they loved doing what they did, and it was dangerous work because the CG, he got around the he got around the, the, the battlefield, and, and there were obviously people looking for he and his PSD, and uh, and those those Marines were fired up every day, and I mean General Mattis went almost every day. I mean he would when he took breaks he didn't take them for himself. He took them for so that other people would have a bit of a break. His guys would have a bit of a break. But they were those guys were hard working great Marines, and uh, and uh, and they all flew out with you uh, when you left, and that was uh, they were. But I mean. I'll t- they were so proud, and and the, and the gunning. I mean, you're you're right. I mean, he, he rode them hard, and uh, and 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 you know, you relate that affection, that that affection. The um, if you, the book you, you Ferenbach's book, this kind of war. If you, if for those of you listening, if you've never read that book, write that book down. It is, I mean, it is it is one of the great books about discipline uh, that you'll ever read. Right when other people were not prepared. The things that the thing that kept the Marine Corps prepared uh, was discipline and the way they were able to, to to get to the fight and fight not at Pusan and then do Inchon and then up to the Chosen but and 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 the legacy that some of those guys the story that they wrote is is unbelievable is unbelievable and it's it, and 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 that affection thing comes through in the book the way they talk about each other um, I know there's I wish I could remember off the top of my head there's a quote by a chaplain. And he says, these Marines have a pious sense about them. Their loose sense of public property aside, they are convinced to the point of arrogance that they are the most ferocious fighters. And the truth is that they are. And there's these wonderful quotes about the fighting spirit, the discipline of them in that book. And so if you haven't read it, uh, it's, it's, an, it's an amazing read. It's an amazing read. The... Um, the affection thing is, is interesting, sir. I, I, I want to ask you as you as you as you go up in rank. In theory, you're separated for the Marines from the Marines that you lead by more and more layers of commanders. Is it? Do you have to learn how to emphasize different things at different levels as you as you become a more senior commander? Is, the way you do discipline is it different? How do you imbue discipline? You know, three and four and five layers below you as you rise in rank. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, or is it the same? 
Well, you you still have to be a role model. If you're going, you can't talk the talk. The truth will see through it right away if you're not living by the same standard you're espousing. <clears throat> so you're going to have to live it, number one. And that means especially those around you, uh, your, your, your closest knit officers and, of course, your uh, sergeant major, uh, your, uh, the, the people who are closest around you are also conveying that every day because they see what you tolerate and what you actually will not tolerate. And if the troops always knew what I would tolerate and if the troop made a mistake and they were trying to carry out my intent, then I would stand by until the palace came home. And I, I did it on several occasions, including once when a congressman had called the Marines um, cold-blooded murderers or something, uh, and I dismissed the charges on them after reviewing the charges and what, what had gone on with those Marines had been through. Um, but at the same time, I expected high levels of discipline, high standards of discipline. And there were some things that I made very clear from higher levels that I would not tolerate. I used to call them a third rail, like on a subway, the third rail that carries 40,000 volts. You do that one and don't come to me with and expect, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be dry eyed, you know, if, if you violate this. For example, you do something to a prisoner once he's under your control, um, or, or you, uh, you fail to do a rehearsal or fail to put out guardian angels. Um, I'm not looking for amateur performance in the Marine Corps as, uh, you know, Staff Sergeant Collier in my first six weeks in the Marine Corps taught us, uh, we will be satisfied if you give 100%, but we will be totally dissatisfied if all you commit is 99%. We're not looking for half-assed Marines, he put it, in his blunt way. So as I went up higher, I spent more time doing two things. One, I made, I wrote, spent a long time writing out my intent so that at least two or three levels below me, they knew exactly what I wanted. And then I spent a lot of time going out and talking to, for example, a division commander. I'd talk to the Italian side group, and I would talk to them repeatedly. And I'd, I'd stop and see them, and I would always de-emphasize the client's intent. Uh, Marines, 99% know that uh, if they know what you want, they will deliver. They will, they will literally put their lives on the line to get a conflict mission. If they don't know what you want, then that's your problem. Uh, look in the mirror. You're the problem. You better get your sharp enough on your intent. So the 1% that, uh, that you can always have anywhere, I remind people, even Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth had one out of 12 sort of mud on him. Um, those guys were going to have to be dealt with by the NCOs and officers. And uh, that's what makes the Marine Corps disciplined outfit. You're held accountable for your actions. And it's uh, the naval service is the varsity. Uh, you run your ship on the rocks, you get your unit in trouble, you fail to carry out your duty. Uh, and uh, the gunnery sergeants and first sergeants, the captains and uh, lieutenant colonels are not there to help you through your midlife crisis. Uh, you're going to pay for it, and hopefully you'll get a second chance to prove yourself, reprove yourself, if you're a Marine. But amateur performance is anathema of the Marine Corps. We're not interested in a lack of discipline or a lack of physical fitness, a 
lack of tactical cunning or someone who can't keep the faith when things go wrong. Like uh, one of the toughest things they had to do was pull Marines out of Fallujah in the first after the first battle of Fallujah when we were ordered to pull back and negotiate. And I didn't want to go in in the first place in that manner. And then once in, I didn't want to stop. And uh, the Marines checked the face coming up. They didn't suck their thumbs. They didn't. Uh, they didn't act like a victim or get cynical. I still remember one slow-talking saw gunner at a camera pushed in his face from the major news organization, and he was asked, you know, gosh, this must be terrible. Uh, you lost some of your friends going into this city. It must be terrible. You must feel terrible. You, you must feel very depressed. He's a slow-talking kid from downtown, black-haired kid, filthy, dirty. And he just looked into the camera and said, doesn't matter, we'll hunt him down somewhere else and kill him. Uh, completely undistressed by, uh, by this. And, uh, it just shows that the Marines were disciplined, who, who believe in themselves, believe in their chain of command. No enemy can stop us. Even when there's a strategic mistake made, we can turn that around and go right back in and, uh, hunt them down to see for it and kill them somewhere else. So I want to ask you. I want to. I want to follow that line about being a senior commander. Uh, at that time, you did division commander, and and uh, I want to ask you about about relieving people. And and because you know, there, I remember hearing a saying in the Marine Corps when I was a lieutenant: "No attrition, no morale." And I remember thinking, "What the hell does that mean?" And what I learned that it meant was that you know the people that are that are that are non-performers. Wherever they are, they've got to go for two reasons. One, it's the right thing to do. Two, other people have to see that if you don't perform, right, you are going to get the express ticket. You're going to be relieved, and you're going to be, you're going to go someplace else. And that is good for other people to see that. And and I would tell you that my opinion, um, you know, the good performers are always the good performers. The, the the middle performers in that, that that fought and led under the Blue Diamond in the year that I was there in 2004, part of it working for you, the middle performers were scared shitless of you. Um, now you may you may quarrel with that, but you know people would call and say, "Hey, is the CG headed this way?" Or you'd pick up the phone to warn somebody that you were on your way. Hey, uh, so and so, chaos is Oscar Mike to your position right now. And what you would get back is holy shit, right? And so, uh, talk to us about uh, as a, as a, as a commander, should you be should you worry about relieving somebody if they do touch the third rails? Because there's a lot of guys who really that ties them up, and they don't relieve people that ought to be relieved. I'm curious about your thoughts on that. Well, I, you have to look at whether or not you coached them properly. Did they understand clearly what was needed? Are they more senior? Obviously, I was much tougher in terms of my expectations uh, on on senior NCOs than junior, on uh, field grade officers and company grade. Uh, I made more than my share of mistakes, but there's a big, big difference between a mistake and a lack of discipline. Uh, and once in a while, um, you had to recognize, you know, combat takes the veneer office and reveals a character close combat does. And uh, 
I think that you sometimes people do not have an event in them to uh, to order troops against an enemy, knowing some of their some of their lads are going to be killed. Uh, it's a tough thing. Uh, we don't talk much about it, but sometimes I had to remove people because they they just hated to lose their people, and I respected that. Not that I knew I shouldn't expect them to do something that was beyond them uh, emotionally based on board. But by and large, if it was a lack of discipline, that's very, very easy. That, that didn't cause me a moment's hesitation. And we probably, uh, in the naval service, we continue uh, about the same levels of relief year in, year out. Uh, they are, we do relieve more people uh, than some of the other armed services. But uh, I think that what the most important thing when you look at this is determine was this a lack of discipline or was this a mistake by someone trying to do their best? Uh, was it a mistake by a Lance Corporal that you wouldn't tolerate a gunnery sergeant because you should have known better? Uh, but you just have to, you have to first of all discriminate between a mistake and honest mistake, uh, a young guy in his first enlistment or a lieutenant, uh, fresh, uh, fresh out of Chronicle and the year of training he's been through by the NCOs there before he ever stands in front of a platoon, but we all make mistakes. And I've made more than my fair share. And every time I made a mistake, uh, all the way through, it seemed like the Marine Corps promoted me and accepted those mistakes were the bridge for me learning how to do things right. Didn't mean I didn't get chewed out for it, but it was never fatal to my career as uh, I was modestly successful in the Marines and, uh, since then. Uh, so I think you just have to be careful. If you want to build trust in a unit, can't be afraid of making mistakes. But a lack of discipline in the naval service is not a mistake. That's a choice, and that's a very bad choice for a Marine. Sir, I want to ask you uh, your, uh, about your personal leadership style, because uh, on a couple occasions as your staff sec, um, I, I, you <laughs> orchestrated through me the discipline of officers and senior staff and COs. And I, if I could describe that for people, and I won't do it in detail, but if I could describe that for people, I would tell them, as I stood against the wall and, and you read, you know, non-punitive letters of caution, whatever they ultimately got issued, I remember thinking to myself, thank God I'm not standing in front of that table. And because I would describe it as your fury, you know, came through loud and clear. And then when you dismissed them, in every occasion, I remember. Then I would order them. You know, when I give the when I give the command to, dismi- to that you're dismissed. You know, you will uh, double time back to the CG and form school circle, and then you did a 180. You you shook every one of their hands. You asked them about their families, and then you you challenged them to be better. I talk to I, I'd be talk to people about that part of, of, of that a lot of people don't see that I had the privilege to 
to to to be a part of talking people about that I, your personal style of not only being hard on people but then turning around and 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 being compassionate and then and then challenging them to be better well you know if you don't love your Marines, then you really ought to get out. The only reason I stuck around that little paying outfit for 40 years is <laughs> for the absolute pleasure of serving alongside uh, cocky, rambunctious, disciplined, selfless, unbelievably selfless young Marines. And the infantry got its name, infant soldier, infantry, young soldier. And I, I enjoyed being around them. And in the military, it's all about the team. And so... If you don't know the team players beyond simply their rank and last name, you don't care about them deeply. I mean, just go up to Bethesda any time you want to see the cost of war and see the ranks on the rooms that you're walking into. Lance Corporal here, Lance Corporal there, PFC here, Sergeant there, Lieutenant. If you don't care about these guys, don't expect them to care about what's important to you. Putting their lives on the line. And the fact that they joined the Marine Corps, 75% of the young 18 to 24 year old males cannot qualify to be a private in the Marine Corps. The drill instructors put them through their pace, and we lose always some percent, 5%, 6% more. And they're in better physical shape than ever going to boot camp, going to the DI. Um, so by the time they get out to the fleet, if they're not performing well, generally, generally you'll find there's something wrong for the young guy uh, at that home or he, he, he was brought in on a Friday of a three-day weekend, didn't know anybody, fell in with the wrong crowd and right away starts going to crap or something. So find what the problem is. Um, I, I just... Uh, I've not found Marines unwilling to do what needs to be done. They do like to know why they're doing it, but that's what's called commander's intent in the maneuver warfare, whether it be field day in the barracks or, or going on Libo or going across the LD against an enemy dug in in the Helmand River Valley. So this is all part of making a Marine Corps where the bonds of trust are so tight that no enemy can break and that enemy can be uh, drug pushers at the off base bar. It can be uh, it can be any number of things uh, that can take a marine astray, especially in a society such as ours. And so you've got to have strong bonds, and I believe those bonds will hold everybody together uh, in a positive way. Discipline is not about something Martinet marking people in for court market. Uh, discipline is mostly about self-discipline. It's mostly about self-discipline and disciplining each other, keeping each other away from guard duty when you're dead tired. Discipline at times is this onerous, you know, punishment aspect. That's not discipline. That's punishment. Sometimes yeah. But that should be the exception if you've got coaches out there, player coaches, out there coaching the troops. And I've seen a 40-man platoon move against the enemy, and they will work a company through it the way they smoothly run against the enemy, and the Marine gets knocked down, and then the Marine's on him right away until the foreman gets there while the rest of them keep moving against the enemy. And 
They, they're just smooth going against the enemy. That's a disciplined unit. It's got a lot of trust in each other, and I won't let each other down when the chips are down. Did the um, <clears throat> you spent a lot of time uh, as a brigadier general and also as a major general in contact with the enemy? Uh, Task Force 58, the First Marine Division, both of the march up, and then uh, and then 2004 uh, in, in Al Ambar. Um, did that change the way <clears throat> that you thought about discipline? Did it did, did it just deepen your convictions? Uh, did do you have any takeaways from 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 all that fighting uh, that 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 you were you were you were a part of that you were leading uh, in, in in your career? Anything change? Anything in, in, anything deepen? Well, the. Uh the Marine Corps has a required reading list. And I remember one <clears throat> one day I hadn't uh, done the reading I was supposed to have done for the talk that day in the company commander's office of the Senate. And so he invited me to stay in my BOQ room that weekend, read the book, and have a book report on his desk the next day. The reading that the Marine Corps required of all of us, in each rank you get another set of books you're supposed to read. You know, it goes up each time. You go up, they expect you to read a new, a new book. Even generals have to be reading this. They gotta, they're not considered to be just, you know, you know, like on, omnipotent. You know, they suddenly, they, they can do everything. No, they gotta study this. And so having studied over the years, I knew as I went up higher, having read about how undisciplined units sometimes cause problems, I needed some kind of aphorism, some kind of statement that would help convey what I what I uh, thought was going to be no, most necessary, and that's where uh, no better friend, no worse enemy from a dead Roman general from a couple thousand years ago. Uh, I used first do no harm. I told Marines that in order to kill a terrorist, you have to shoot across a crowded marketplace with women and children. Don't take the shot. Send them down another day and kill them. At first, you know, what would you do if somebody shot and killed your son or daughter, your wife, uh, or put one of them in a wheelchair? Don't create more problems. Um, and I, I drew the ones, of course, from the first, you know, harm from the physician's oath, the surgeon's oath, right. from antiquity. So I would adopt these from these statements that conveyed uh, discrimination and attention and discipline. Uh, like uh, going into Afghanistan or going into Iraq, no better friend. Are the people, the innocent people caught up in this, they can trust us. And for the enemy, uh, you're going to regret it. It's going to be your longest day and worst day. But that's what we do as seniors. We try to convey our intent in reactive words, not reflective. In other words, once they've thought about it, once they're in combat, it's going to have to be reactive. And so as I went up higher, I tried to use these kinds of uh, guiding tenets that would unleash the Marine combat capability that makes always done with understanding that every battlefield is also a humanitarian field, and it takes discipline to do the right thing. Always has in the good units and uh, and in the bad units. Uh, both fighting them. I watched. Marines on one occasion go through an undisciplined enemy unit, and it was almost sickening the way they killed them. Uh, the unit didn't know how to fight its way out of a paper bag, and the Marines were 
were highly effective as they moved through like a killing machine. And the whole di- di- difference, I mean, they, they had rifles, they had machine guns, they had RPGs. We had rifles, we had 203s, we had machine guns. Uh, the difference was the discipline and the, the NCOs. Combat's always exciting at times. If you have good NCOs, the outcome isn't, uh, isn't in question. So I saw what, what disciplined units under good NCOs to do. Hey, sir, when the I mean these 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 things, the way you chunked really, really, con- I mean, I would say complex concepts into those short phrases, um, was that part of you thinking about how do I convey these continuing actions uh, that involve discipline? I mean, they're fairly complex. I mean, no better friend, no worse enemy. That's a pretty long paragraph were you to write it all out. Uh, was that a conscious thing you did? Did, did you ever go to any advertising uh, and classes or anything like that? Because um, it's called in lecture, it's called chunking information, and uh, you know, and, and you know, first do no harm, right? Short phrase, but there's this whole, there's this whole, you know, hour long PME behind that. Did you do that con- consciously? Those things in order to to chunk those complex concepts into small things that Marines could remember? Um, no, I didn't. The Marine Corps required us to read. Uh, they expected us to learn. Uh, you, you've got to learn this because if you don't learn it, you can't just read history. You've got to learn it. You've got to live in it. But if you don't, <clears throat> you're going to fill body bags with Marines if you learn lessons the hard way. I knew what would happen. If our Marines weren't disciplined around innocent people, we would be creating more enemies and I would lose more troops because we were actually becoming the recruiting ground for the enemy. So no, it was just, uh, it was just stuff I drew from my, uh, from my reading map and that's why the Marine Corps expects you to read and use it. Change what you're doing. Use what you're learning and change it so your boys don't pay the price if you put it could have paid with simply a couple of hours of reading one night uh, by by learning how someone else dealt with a similar situation. You know, uh, one one more question in your progression as 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 a as a marine officer, and and, and then ultimately up to the position of sector. As you went to CENTCOM, sir, uh, and and it, at first you went joint forces command, and then. And, and, and with NATO transition, and then and then to CENTCOM, and then uh, and then ultimately at SECDEF. Did your did your view of leadership change because the lens gets the lens gets much broader as you, as you're now you know presiding over coalition forces and NATO forces, and then as the Secretary of Defense, it, your your lens gets much broader, and you see the Marine Corps as you know a stripe in in or a layer in this mosaic. Um, what um, did now, as, as, as you've been forced through other jobs to to step back, did that change your view of, of discipline uh, at all? No, Mac. I was I was formed by the Marine Corps, and the combat simply at times I, I can't say I fully understood some of the reasons for the Marine Corps' attention to minor things when I was affected at time. But by the time I was a lieutenant colonel, I knew very well why they had put such, such emphasis on things that at times it seemed to frustrate me as a young officer. 
and now now I understood how it actually did work. Why what we needed were discipline, but not regimented Marines. In other words, we want Marines initiative. We want two qualities in young NCOs and petty officers in the police Marine Force. We want initiative, and we want aggressiveness. Initiative and aggressiveness. So as you move up, those are the kind of things I look for uh, all the way through being the Secretary of Defense. What kind of leaders did I want in the Pentagon? <clears throat> because I wanted to do two things uh, right up front. One is increase the lethality of our military, and secondly, increase the number of allies we have so that we, uh, as the old Marine uh, saying goes, if you go into a gunfight, bring all your friends with guns. And uh, history is pretty compelling on this, so I still tried to build trust and and build respect by paying respect to other people, to uh, other nations, to other nations armed forces, uh, and at the same time make sure that I had a, a theme to my own leadership that I adopted George Washington, which was listen, learn, help, and then lead. So again, you listen and really listen to understand them, uh, make sure you understand them. And that's how you're learning about them. And then you help them. Find some way to help them. Doesn't have to be big, but just something that shows respect. And then you lead. So listen, learn, help, lead. And that was developed in me from my Marine Corps reading list and from what I saw. I had, I had wonderful leaders. NCOs, junior NCOs. I mean, when your first two platoons start, your 40 men platoon are corporals. You learn just how good corporals can be if they're given the, the support and, and you listen to them. So, uh, no, no, it, it, it's mostly just the Marine Corps. It didn't change much over those years at all. The, um, the concept of a peer fight, sir, I mean, I've, uh, it's been kind of interesting as 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 uh, you know as the Marine Corps pivots to the Pacific and 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 this discussion about fighting a peer. And one of the things that I did as I do this show and and and, and do interviews and and uh, and one of the one of the I interviewed General Neal and uh, about a battle called the Battle of Getland's Corner. And uh, I, I'm not sure, but I think it might be the most decorated fight in Marine Corps history. Lieutenant Bobo's. Uh, awarded the Medal of Honor, four Navy Crosses, six Silver Stars, and three Bronze Stars in a five-hour fight uh, up near the DMZ in, I think, March of 1967. And I, and then I interviewed one of the squad leaders, and uh, and, and I really got interested in the fighting in 67, 68, 69 in Leatherneck Square when the NBA would come, I mean, and they would come and try to put our heads on a stick. You know, and 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 what it is, what it is to fight a peer, and can you undertake a, a fight with a peer if you're an undisciplined force? Um, in Korea, as, as you read Sternbeck's book, you see that with an undisciplined force, as unfortunately some of the American units were, not the Marines, uh, it doesn't even take a peer. Uh, to beat you if you're not disciplined. Uh, a crummy outfit, I mean, in terms of equipment and training, that well-disciplined can beat a disciplined unit that's got better equipment, 
and that sort of thing. So, no, you can't fight a peer with an undisciplined unit. You'll lose, number one. You'll lose more people uh, than you need to. Uh, discipline is what separates uh, the, the, uh, the winners from the losers at the bottom line. So it's, uh, it's, it's simply, you know, once in a while you have people who get frustrated and certainly our society is built on, on a lot of freedom, individual freedom. So on the battlefield, no matter how many Rambo movies you've watched, it's all about the team. And a team that's not disciplined cannot get the best out of it, out of the group. Just can't do it. Sir, um, have you followed this discussion uh, that's going on? Uh, it was interesting. I was talking to Chris Woodbridge, the editor and publisher of the Gazette, and he said, you know, General Furness has lit off this pretty interesting, you know, discussion, and it's been it's been widely debated um, in, in on different websites, and 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 he said I've got a t- tremendous amount of input. From uh, from Marines of all ranks about uh, about their thoughts on discipline. Uh, since it started, have you paid attention to it? Do you and, and, and do you have any general thoughts on 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 the debate uh, as it goes on in the Marine Corps today? Uh, no, I haven't followed it closely. Um, not here back in my hometown on the Columbia River, uh, but I would say that. Um, <clears throat> If a force isn't focused on combat and peacetime, if, if a force that's designed to fight and be ready to fight first, ready when the nation is least ready, if it's not focused on war fighting, then it's going to pay a price. <clears throat> like none of us saw 9-11 coming, but the Marines were ready, and I, was, I sent them straight into a fight in Afghanistan when I was put in charge of the few news. Um, so if anyone has read history, uh, they'll know that there is no room for undisciplined units. Um, I was reading about why in modern war, why a country thought they could beat another country, and they observed that the troops no longer saluted their officers. They were often fight uh, over drinking <clears throat> in the forces along the demarcation line opposite them, and that their weapons appeared at times to be filthy. And based on that, a strategic decision was made to initiate a fight that cost a hell of a lot of troops' lives of that undisciplined unit before air support and other more disciplined units brought in, uh, maneuver units were brought in to restore the situation. But it was interesting because the nation that started the fight knew they weren't as good as the other nation until they saw these signs of lack of discipline. Uh, frankly, I'd love to fight an undisciplined enemy unit because they're so easy to kill. You don't lose as many of your own men when you do it. But the idea that there would even be a debate or a discussion about discipline. Now, let me just caveat this by saying it's not bad to have the discussion so long as it's guided by wise senior NCOs and officers explaining the reasons why we do things the way we do them. Uh, why you have to get little things that darn near perfect 
if you want to get some big things, even half-ass right. So there's a reason for it, and that does have to be explained, and that's the healthy part of the discussion. But if someone thinks they're suddenly in a brave new world where warfare discipline is less valuable, then that person uh, is simply uh, digging the graves for a lot of uh, a lot of Marines, and that that's the silly. There is a difference between discipline and punishment, and sometimes that is that is not made clear. Discipline is self-discipline, doing the right thing whether someone's around or not, running the ethical midfield. So to make a mistake. You're not out of bounds. If you're running the ethical sidelines all the time, if you're seeing what you can get away with, then you make a mistake, you're out of bounds, and now you're going to pay the price. So you've got to run the ethical midfield. You've got to have coaches down there. I could command First Marine Division when we were together, Matt, in 10 minutes a day, sign an order, um, you know, make a decision about something. I spent the other 23 hours and 50 minutes a day when I was sleeping about coaching, and I was oftentimes coaching the need for standards and why we don't get sloppy. And we had something painted on the exit sign or at the exit of all the thoughts and it said complacency kills. And complacency is where discipline starts breaking down, and uh, and that's that's uh, need to have a discussion about that. Uh, the Marine Corps is supposed to be the varsity. That's the kind of thing you do when you're in sixth grade is discuss whether or not you need discipline in the unit, not in the varsity. So you've been very gracious with your time uh, today, and I for, and, and I want to thank you. Um, I, I have uh, three more questions for you, and they're easy ones. Well, the, the first one's a general. This is the general question. Um, is there... What about discipline? Have I not been smart enough to ask you that you want to make Marines, uh, other, uh, you know, other military leaders, civilians that will listen to this? What haven't I been smart enough to ask you about discipline that you want that you want people to make sure they know? Well, I think you've covered it well with your question, uh, Nash, and hopefully my answers have been somewhat helpful uh, in understanding this. But the most important thing is to emphasize that discipline is also about using uh, your own potential fully and not saying, well, I'm not going to go out and work out today because that's all I can do my three miles in 20 minutes. I mean, until you're down to 18 minutes, I mean, you should be out there every day working on your wind sprints and everything. Discipline starts with body. You discipline your mind by studying the Marine Corps reading list, by staying current on tactics, reading the Marine Corps Gazette, reading the Leatherneck. And then spiritually is just as important. The spiritual side, the emotional side, whatever you want to call it, wherever you get your spiritual strength, that should be something you share with each other. And if you do this, the need for external discipline goes down because you're disciplining yourself. And the different between a man and a boy is a boy often needs to be disciplined. A man is setting his own standards, and his standards are higher than those of his community or his Marine Corps or of his college, wherever he's at. He's not interested in someone else's standards. He's going to set his high enough that he's an example, and he doesn't have to look over his shoulder to see if someone's coming after him. So I, I just leave it there. All right. Um, I'm sure everybody's curious. What do you what do you what are you doing these days? 
Well, I'm uh, I'm spending time at Stanford University, and I'm talking to young people in various locations about how to uh, come together as Americans and make sure that uh, where we may agree or disagree on something, we haven't do a politics. We still show respect for each other, and we listen to each other, recognizing that there is truth in everybody, and we can disagree on some things. But uh, let's remember a pluralist unum that's on all of our coins, out of many one, that we're all Americans. And let's keep the faith with each other in these times. All right. And then uh, and then finally, I know you're, you're – um, I saw a press release that said your book was going to come out here in, 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 the, in the middle of July, but uh, we were talking earlier, and that's been that's been pushed uh, that's been uh, pushed to uh, to the right into September. Yeah, it'll come out the third of September, Matt. It was uh, I, I gained a lot from my reading, so I thought I'd put some of the lessons I've learned in my own book and put it out there and see if the junior NCOs and junior officers can learn from mistakes I made along the way. And, uh, and, and the same way that I've benefited reading from other people's uh, experiences, I hope this is of some value to our, our young Marines. Well, I'm sure it will be. The title is uh, Call Sign Chaos, Learning to Lead. And uh, with, uh, with the, uh, uh, a writer that everybody who reads Marine stuff will know, uh, with Bing West. So, uh, so looking forward to it. It comes out in hardback, ebook, and audiobook format here in September. So, uh, so certainly, uh, I look forward to read it. So maybe you can come back on and talk about it when, after it comes out. Well, thanks, Nick, for having me on. And, uh, all you young Marines out there, you keep faith and simplify. That is General James Mattis. United States Marine Corps retired on another installment, the third installment of uh, a series that we call On Discipline here on All Marine Radio. Don't touch that dial. More of All Marine Radio coming up next, right here on your home for it, the All Warrior Radio Network.